Advisor to Presidents Clinton and Trump. And now, he's here to advise us all. Dick Morris is on 77 WABC. Happy Memorial Day, everybody. An American, where at least I know I'm free. And I won't forget the men who died, who gave that right to me. And I gladly stand up next to you and defend her today well in washington they have reached a budget deal and um after an extended negotiation and i think the basic takeaway from it is you talk too much you worry me to death you talk too much you even worry my pet you just talk talk too much I want to put the whole issue of the balanced budget and deficit in perspective. <clears throat> Bill Clinton balanced the budget. He actually had a budget surplus, a small one, for four, the last four years of his presidency. And the United States was in very good shape when that happened. He did it, by the way, not by cutting spending so much, but by raising the capital gains tax, which uh, meant I'm sorry, lowering the capital gains tax, which meant that more people invested, more money came into the economy, and we grew very well. But after Clinton left office, we were hit with a series of shocks, uh, starting with 9-11. And in 2003, uh, the budget was running a deficit of $380 billion and uh, went down to about $450 billion deficit. And then it kind of stabilized, moved up to about, uh, moved up close to balance. Then under the Bush administration, the, so the shock came of the, uh, savings and loan, of the, uh, subprime crisis where the entire banking community in the world and the economy of the world was threatened with total collapse and going off the cliff when Lehman Brothers failed and other banks began to teeter on the edge of failing, it looked like the whole financial system was going to be in trouble. So to stop these financial shocks from becoming economic shocks and to stop it from causing mayhem in the economy, (coughs) the deficit, the feds flooded the country with money and we ran a gigantic budget deficit in that emergency. In 2007, our budget deficit rose to a little over a trillion dollars, the first trillion-dollar deficit we had. And it stayed over a trillion dollars for a couple of years. The rest of the uh, – under Obama, uh, he, he didn't immediately cut it back. He continued many of the programs, but he was moderate in the way he did it. So that we had a balanced budget under Clinton, then we had a deficit with 9-11 – then we had a big deficit with the 08-09 fiscal crisis. And then stuff was going along fairly well under Trump. We didn't have any more, we did not have more than a trillion dollars of deficit. Our deficit ran about 700 billion a year. Then COVID hit and the bottom fell out, absolutely went crazy because the economy closed down. People stopped working entirely and revenues dried up totally to the government. 
and our deficit soared to over $3 trillion, first under uh, Trump and then under Biden. And that was absolutely necessary. It was one of the most soundest decisions the government has ever made. It saved us from massive misery and pain and uh, helped us over the COVID epidemic with only some economic repercussions, but not truly horrible. Then everything went bad. When Biden took office, he faced the choice of ratcheting back to a normal fiscal policy and letting there be a deficit, but not a huge one, or continuing the crazy, gigantic, huge budget deficits that we had to have during the first year of COVID. But now COVID was over. People were no longer dying of it. But Biden stepped in with the same stimulus program, the same amount of money, this enormous expenditure that sent the deficit soaring again. Uh, and, uh, when, and in the years after COVID, for no good reason at all, the deficit was over a trillion dollars. And now it's a trillion and a half dollars. And this was when during COVID you had to do it. But afterwards, doing it was just a political decision by Biden to try to buy votes and get popularity and keep the economy in great shape. And he just overdid it, and that led to the enormous inflation that we have going on right now. And that's the background of the budget deal that they just cut. I'm here with my sidekick, Doug DiPiero. Hello, who, Mr. Morris. Who is uh, a motorcycle maven Uh-oh. and has spent the entire week repairing his freaking motorcycles. No, no, my old vet. Oh, oh your Corvette. Yeah, yeah. 68 well, this vets. Is Memorial, awesome. This is Memorial Day, so we should honor the vets. <laughs> that was good. <laughs> Not the Corvette. You, you get what he's the saying? Veteran vets. <laughs> You're funny. Yeah. <laughs> okay. The V-E-T-T. The V-E-T-S, not the V-E-T-T. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was good. I'll give you that. All right. I'm going to do like a little uh, painting on the back of the thing. Thank you, vets, on my Corvette. So this is a uh, column by Michael Wilkerson, who I've had on the show. Who great is, guy. But Stormwall Advisor is a really great economic advisor. And he puts it this way. We are on the verge of a debt and deficit-fueled inflationary crisis, one in which our trading and investment partners or abroad lose all faith and confidence in our government and in our currency, and in our currency, and price stability goes out the window. During the global financial crisis of 07 and 09, it was individuals and households, not the government, that had too much debt. And people and, and the people understood that, and they ratcheted back their borrowing, they didn't take out mortgages, they cut back their credit cards. Sure. And the ratio of household debt to GDP fell below 77%, which is great. But today, it's the federal government, not households, that is most over-indebted and poses the greatest risk of destabilizing our entire financial system and our economy. When all U.S. household, corporate, and government debt is combined, the total represents 257% of GDP. By contrast, Russia is at 12% and China at 62%. And what's happening now is that the countries of the world are losing faith in the dollar. They're abandoning the dollar in droves. You have have five countries called the BRIC countries, Brazil, Russia, India, China, and Saudi Arabia, and uh, South Africa, the BRICS countries. And they have set up their own economic system, and they control 40 
percent of the world's population and uh, about 25% of the world's economy. And they are rejecting the dollar. When they trade with each other, they use gold and uh, or their own local currencies. They have nothing to do with the dollar anymore. Hmm. And now a whole bunch of countries, including uh, Saudi Arabia, uh, Algeria, Indonesia, Pakistan, Mexico, for God's sakes, are now looking at joining them, creating this huge worldwide trading block that resists using the dollar. They don't want to touch the dollar. And the result is that the dollar is becoming isolated and increasingly will not be accepted abroad when you go to change money. Now, what that means is that when we have a deficit like the one we have now, we can solve that problem easily by running our printing press, just print more money. (laughs) And we circulate it, and everybody in the world says, oh, yeah, that's a dollar. We'll accept it. We'll take it at face value. But the BRICS countries are saying, no, we're not going to do that anymore. The dollar has lost 25% of its value since 2018. 25%. If you were making $50,000 in 2018. Go to 100. $100,000. Guess what? You're only making $75,000 now with no pay raise or no pay cut. Right. Just the money is worth only three quarters of what it was worth. So they're saying, we're not going to do this anymore. We're going to trade in gold. And, uh, Biden's policies of this budget deficit, the national debt, is just prolonging that, increasing it. And from now, soon, when we lose the global supremacy of the gold standard, when we need to run a deficit, we won't be able just to run our printing presses. We have to go and cash in our money for the money that's accepted throughout the world, whether it's gold or a new currency or one that the BRIC countries come up with. And and they give us an, a favorable or unfavorable rate. But the point is we have to cash in our dollars for another currency. Hmm. And we can't just print the money. And maybe we can't cash in all of it. Maybe we have to cut gigantic cuts in our spending, Social Security, Medicare, uh, defense spending, all of it, subject to massive, huge cuts. To give you an idea of the magnitude of the cuts, the United States government now – takes in $5 trillion a year in revenue. And we spend $6.5 trillion a year in revenue. While we're the global currency, we can just print the $1.5 trillion. But if we lose that status, which we're about to lose, and China and Russia and India and Brazil are challenging it, and they're being joined by countries all over the world, probably including Saudi Arabia, then we are in really desperate trouble with this fifteen, with this one point five trillion, so you ask, what would be the major harm that will exist in the future, forty to thirty years from now, when people look back at the Biden presidency and they say, what was the key harm that he did to America? It's not going to be immigration. Trump will take over and shut that down. It's not going to be inflation that comes and goes, although largely it's going to get worse, but. Sometimes it will get better. Mm -hmm. It's not crime. That goes up, that goes down. It is the loss of the dollar as the international global currency. That is the key harm of the Biden administration. That is the outcome of his reckless spending and borrowing. And the budget deal they just cut basically is a halfway measure. It freezes everything. So we're frozen at a $1.5 trillion deficit. And we can gradually whittle that down. 
but the kind of major cuts that were necessary to stop that are out of political reach and won't be possible. So basically you have to chalk it up as a failure. Isn't it rich? Isn't it queer? Losing my timing this late in my career. Where are the clowns? Where the clowns are. There ought to be clowns. Well, maybe next year. So when we come back, we're going to talk about the clowns that are now coming into the presidential race. Scott, Pence, Christie, and, of course, DeSantis. This is 77 WABC, and this is the Dick Morris Show. He's been advisor to Presidents Clinton and Trump, and now he's here to advise us all. Dick Morris is on 77 WABC. Isn't it rich? Isn't it queer? Losing my timing this late in my career. Where are the clowns? There ought to be clowns. Well, there are plenty of clowns now in the presidential race. You ain't kidding. And we're adding a few more as we speak. Uh, DeSantis is a leading clown. Uh, I did a poll uh, in Iowa, and uh, I found Trump is way ahead. But we'll get to that in a sec. Let's talk about the expansion of the field. There are now nine candidates running for president, but there are basically only two ways you can vote. You can vote for Trump or against Trump. And if you're voting for Trump, it goes to Trump's total. And if you vote against Trump, it gets split eight ways. (laughs) Some go to DeSantis, some go to Pence, some go to Christie, some go to Scott, to Nikki Haley, to uh, Vivek uh, Ramos, whatever his name is. You you just have an eight-way split, nine-way split, ten-way split, 11-way split by the time all the candidates are in. So DeSantis doesn't have a prayer. In the two-way race right now, Trump is at 54% and DeSantis is at 36%, 18 points back. But in a multi-candidate field with all of these clowns running, Trump still gets 50, but Pence, but uh, DeSantis drops to 20. And all of those other votes that DeSantis got in the two-way race go to one of these other candidates. Now, Essentially, realistically, they're all voting for not Donald Trump. But they can't, they don't all say that. They all give different candidates. And it protects Trump because nobody's going to get close to him in a 10-way field. So let's go through the new, first of all, uh, DeSantis. He announced too late. He waited too long. In January and December, DeSantis had a pretty good shot. Trump was only tied with him or slightly ahead. 
And it was clear that everybody that didn't vote for Trump was, in fact, ready to vote for DeSantis. And then Trump got his act together. He announced his candidacy on December 15th, really early. He put out these videos. And again, I encourage you to go to DonaldTrump.org. Uh, and you'll get all of Donald, yeah, DonaldTrump.org. And you get all of his videos. There are about 20 of them now. And it's the most astonishing program for a non-incumbent that I've ever seen uh, about education. He says, abolish teacher tenure and abolish funding to schools that teach critical race theory and sex ed to young children. Uh, he, uh, he talks about all of our major issues. Immigration, he says, seal the border. On uh, crime, he says, where the local DAs won't prosecute, <clears throat> send in the Justice Department, take over the, the DA's office, and then we prosecute. Fundamental, basic changes. And he began to really attack DeSantis, exposing his record when he was in Congress. Number one, DeSantis supports, and has never said he doesn't, raising the retirement age up to 70. France is paralyzed right now because they want to raise the retirement age, I think, to 60, lower it to 60, uh, but from 62. But DeSantis wants you to have to wait till you're 70 to draw Social Security benefits, even partial benefits. DeSantis be also with the, DeSantis also with the, uh, massive, uh, inflation going on wanted to reduce the cost of living adjustments. So they were not based on really costs, but based on incomes. And that meant that instead of our getting, being held harmless when the cost of living went up, we'd have to eat a lot of that ourselves. Mm -hmm. And then you have Mike Pence who's running. Why he's running, I don't know. He's at 4% of the vote, 5%. He's not going to go any higher. All he'll do in this race is take pro-life votes away from DeSantis. Why do you think? Do you, any, any idea? Because... Because he can't not. His dignity won't allow it. He was vice president, and now there's a presidential race. That's like the next step. Yeah, <clears throat> and, and it's kind of part of the job description to be vice president. And then run for president yeah. after. The only one I can think of that hasn't well, was, was like Quayle. He got in and got like 2% of the vote and dropped out. Potato, potato? Yeah, and he doesn't want to, and, and he's going to be in that same category. Uh-huh. And then there's Chris Christie. God knows why he's running. Yeah. He couldn't get elected governor of New Jersey. <laughs> and he's, uh, and he's trying to get elected president and he's, he's absolutely blown his national image, uh, particularly by opening the beaches to him and his family while he was closing right. them all to the rest good. of the state during the hurricane. Right. But the clowns are doing their thing. They're all running. And in this kind of a field, there's no way that they're going to be able to catch up with Trump. So you know, in a circus, they send the clowns in when there's a to distract from an animal got loose or somebody's getting hurt. So they send the clowns in when to distract everyone. Well, here it's an five. animal did get loose. His name was Ron DeSantis, <laughs> and they're sending in the clowns, the clowns to distract him. You're yeah, exactly right. That's exactly what the clowns do. So when we come back, I want to share with you the results of a poll I did let this week. During just last week, during the time that DeSantis was announcing, I did it on Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday of last week, and it was to track the impact that DeSantis's announcement has had. 
And guess what? There ain't none. <laughs> this is the Dick Morris Show on 77 WABC. It's Sunday, and you know what that means. Here's Dick Morris on 77 WABC. Clowns to the left of me, jokers to the right. Here I am stuck in the middle. Dick Morris. So, DeSantis just waited too, too long, and Trump had sewn up the nomination by the time he got into it. His only strategy now is to move so far to the right that if Trump follows him, he might win the nomination, but he'd never win the election. Trump. Trump. Because, did I say Trump? Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah because Trump wants, because the idea is that Trump can't moderate his views on abortion and social issues while DeSantis is pinning him to the right by saying, I want an abortion after six weeks. I want a limit of six weeks on abortion. And, can't uh, have abortion. And it's, uh, and, and that, is such an extreme position that if Trump took it, he'd never get any women's votes. Mm. And DeSantis knows that. Trump knows that. And what DeSantis is trying to do is to put Trump in a position where if he goes to win the primary, he loses in November. And if he protects himself in November, he's at risk of losing the primary, mm. the Iowa caucus. Interesting. Um, but fundamentally, DeSantis has not made a case for president. He said he was a great governor, okay. He said people flocked to Florida, okay. He said that they have no income tax there, right. He said we have a low, we have, they have some crime there, but a relatively low rate. Yeah, you're right. All that's true. DeSantis for governor. <laughs> what the hell does that tell us he do about the economy, China, Russia, the border, any of the technology, um, like a technology, radio, the economy, and, uh, inflation. Twitter. What's he going to do about the main problems facing the country that a president has to deal with? Right. You know, there's a story. I don't know if I've told it on this show, but let me tell it again. There was this guy who lived in Pennsylvania in Johnstown. Right. And uh, he always loved to tell everyone how he survived the Johnstown flood. Whenever two or more people got together, he would tell them the story. So when he died, he went up to heaven and St. Peter said, is there something I can do for you here that would make you feel comfortable? I said, yeah, I love to tell people about how I survived the Johnstown flood. It's a great story. So St. Peter said, fine, you can tell it tonight. We're getting everybody together and we'll put you on. You can tell the story. So the guy steps up to the microphone to begin telling a story and St. Peter whispers in his ear, I just want to let you know Noah is in the audience. <laughs> so what's he going to do? Talk about the Johnstown flood when Noah with the Noah's Ark is in the audience? And that's how DeSantis must feel. He gets up there and talks about his achievements in Florida. But Noah, Donald Trump, is sitting in the audience. Right. He did all of this stuff and so much more at the national level. And it makes it makes DeSantis's achievements Hailed by comparison. That was a great example, that little joke you used. That was good. Yeah, long-winded perfect. and very long, but it was, it was good. Yeah, it's perfect. Like Noah. I like okay. that. <laughs> so, um, you did good. Let's go to Andrew and Stanhope. Hey, Andrew, you've called before. Thanks for calling. Yeah, um, I thought you were going to say, uh, I thought you were going to say that, uh, 
St. Peter said, actually, you didn't survive. <laughs> that's, why you're in that's why you're here. Yeah. Ah, that's good, too. <laughs> that's All right. Good. Very good. And um, <laughs> the Latino vote, he, DeSantis said 60% went to him, but it's a big proportion of Cuban votes, which are strongly Republican, so that could be a little yeah. misleading. And also maybe the COVID lockdowns, yes. many of the Latinos well, it's, were against that. It's true that he really, that he did really well with Latinos getting 60% of their vote. And it's true that that was mainly Cubans who are more Republican anyway. But Trump is now getting 41% of the Latino vote nationally. When Trump ran in, in 2012, uh, the Republicans got only about 20% of the Latino vote. When Trump ran in 2016, 2016 uh, he got only 26% of the Latino vote. And in 2020, he got 33% of the Latino vote. And now he's getting more than 40. And the key is not anything that he's done or that, uh, or that DeSantis has done. It's what Biden has done by dumping on America, by sanctioned by allowing the people who tear down our statues and oh my face our heritage and say America is a terrible racist country. It These is. are people who came here at risk of their lives. Right. And they're damned if they're going to let this country go the way of Latin America or Venezuela or Cuba or even Vietnam. Of the their, tyrants. Their home countries. Right. Yeah, and they've seen how the left takes over. Mm. And they're not about to let it happen here. So I do not believe that DeSantis can catch Trump. I bet you can't catch him. That's good. Um, let's go to uh, Tony in Clifton. Hi, Hello, Tony. My favorite, Hi, my Tony. favorite gentleman. Thank Hi, you. Tony. Uh, Dick and Doug, I missed you guys last week, but I listened to the podcast. So here's what I want to say. Number one, I have a scratch off for my candidate ticket. And, of course, I scratched off Benedict Biden off. (laughs) Then I got to Vice President Pence. (laughs) He's my Benedict Biden. Okay, VP Pence is, of course, second to the Benedict. He's Benedict Pence because he was really nothing much, although he did work hard as a vice president. But he's not nowhere in the running, and he's another traitor because he could have straightened out January 6th in a minute, looking at the election of 1960 in Hawaii. Before you go down the rest of your list, um, Tony, uh, let me just talk about Pence for a second. The issue was that Pence was a decent vice president. The thing you got to do as a VP is be available to be, in effect, the chief staff member to the president. Mm -hmm. The president has a large staff, but... None of them are elected, and the vice president is, and therefore he has a level of power and prestige within the administration that is very important. Clinton would always use Gore to get stuff done within the bureaucracy, and it, people he had an authority, and um, Bush used Cheney. Cheney really was the president, uh, but uh, Bush gave him that power. But when Mike Pence ruled that he would not send the electoral vote count back to the states to have them do an audits and make sure the count was accurate. I believe he betrayed America. Mm-hmm. Now, some say he didn't have the power. 
Well, the Constitution says he receives the vote count. And obviously, if that means it, it's not just a clerical function. He receives it and he posts it. Uh, and as proof that we're right, the Democrats are pushing a bill that likely will pass that says that he can't do anything with the votes, that it's just a ministerial. So they want to change it. Yeah, they want to change it so that he has no power. Mm -hmm. So obviously he had power. Right. And Ted Cruz did a great job. He said we should turn these totals back to the states in uh, Pennsylvania, Arizona, Georgia, and the swing states and have them audit the results and get back to us and let us know if these are the correct numbers. And there was plenty of time. This was on December. This was in early December. And uh, you could have done this well before January 20th and eliminated this national problem. Uh, but Pence chickened out. Everybody said, if you do this, you're violating the Constitution. Your name will be mud. And he just lacked the guts to go ahead and do that. What a shame. Let's go to Sandra in New Jersey. Hi, Sandra. Sandra. Oh, happy Memorial Day, Doug and Dick. Same um, to you. I have to, thank you. I have a comment and a big request. The comment is, I read this morning that Michael Goodwin was saying, you know, uh, Ron DeSantis is not a Jeb Butch. Let's not get too complacent here. And he went on to say, you know, he's going to attack him on uh, the COVID lockdown. He's going to attack him on the economy. But what concerned me more was that he said that um, in 18 states, he's going to start um, having people go to people that are voting. They have, they have like a big plan, you know, to go after the people that yeah. want to vote for him. And I'm worried, but yeah. Well, I, I, I obviously you need to be concerned, but I, I polled this and I think Trump is in very strong shape. They really, really love him in Iowa. They adore him. And uh, we'll talk about abortion in a minute, but they absolutely would walk on hot coals barefoot to vote for Donald Trump. <laughs> to get there? Yeah, absolutely. I got I to gotta mention. Uh, yeah, go ahead. Yesterday, um, what, what show was it? And the guy asked you on Newsmax, and he asked Dick Morris, he goes, what is Donald Trump worried about? What do you think scares him? And Dick said, his golf game. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, what is he concerned about? His golf game is yep. so true. <laughs> um, I had to bring that up. That was good. Now you mentioned the the question of uh, of whether Trump of, of where Trump is vis a vis DeSantis on some of the key issues that DeSantis is raising, and uh, on all of them, uh, Trump is in very good shape. Uh, he's uh, he's good on abortion. We'll talk about that in a minute. For God's sakes, he was the one who. Uh, got Roe v. Wade overturned, the one big thing that they wanted. And uh, I think that he's going to be just fine. Uh, Nick in Queens. Hey, Nick. Yes, thanks, Dick. Hi. And uh, Gazadija Doug. <laughs> you, <clears throat> you know, Dick, isn't it true that uh, in 2025 the Trump tax cuts get uh, reversed? No. Uh, there are some of them that get sunsetted. But uh, but this budget deal assumes that they'll be renewed, and they're not going to be rolled back. Uh, I, I think that I think it, I need to check it, but I'm pretty sure that they're going to be continued. Uh, the Republicans wouldn't pass this if it didn't do that. I haven't seen that printed. Good for you for flagging that, but I think it's true. Uh, go to Dean in New Jersey. Hi, Dean. 
Hi, Dick. You know, I hate bashing uh, DeSantis because he is a good governor. And, you know, maybe in the future he'll be a good president. But right now it's like bashing a uh, a high school, a good high school football player yeah. because we're comparing him to the best pro ever. Right. You know, so we have to sort of leave him alone on that. But we need right now a howitzer and a M1 tank and Air Force. And this yeah. is Donald Trump. We, right. we need a citizen in there. Right. We need a groundswell right. to protect. It's like I thought it's a little bit like the, uh, Aaron Boone sends up a minor leaguer who he called up from AAA to bat. Right. And Aaron Judge is sitting there on the, on the uh, bench and they now call him up to bat. Uh, and the minor leaguer said, hey – I hit 300 and I hit lots of home runs, ah. but that was against AAA pitching, yeah, not right. against major <laughs> exactly. league pitching. And, uh, and I think that becomes clear. Uh, Al and Yonkers. Yeah, good afternoon, Doug. And, uh, Hi. Uh, hey, Nick, Al. Uh, nice speaking to you on this uh, weekend of uh, remembrance. Yes. yes. And Thank I just you. wanted to ask you, uh, my question is, do you think uh, Governor Sununu of New Hampshire, whose father – is a close yeah. ally of Bush, Bush 41, yeah. I mean the Bush family. Yep. Uh, do you think he's going to get in the mix and yeah. jump in the race? I do, but he polls terribly in New Hampshire. Even in New Hampshire, he's running a distant third uh, behind DeSantis and way, way, way behind Trump. I think he's still in single digits. So if he gets into it, he's just on a suicide mission. You know, a lot of people kind of figure, well, I've had a long career, and I'll give it a shot, you know, as my final thing. And I probably won't win, but, you know, at least I, I'll be able to tell myself I tried. And that's that's the rationale for a lot of these candidacies. Um, Alex in Brooklyn, though, has a good point. Alex? Hey, Dick, thanks for, yeah. thanks for taking the call. Um, you know, I actually think some of them are also doing it because they want to become the vice president pick for Trump, like yeah. Nikki Haley. The best and way not to become vice president is to run against Donald <laughs> Trump right. for president and have an argument because he is him. not the forgiving sort. Okay, so I just I wanted to say you were mentioning about how Ron Atand is going to the extreme right because he wants to be popular by MAGA Republicans and in people that are extreme right. But it's going to hurt him in the general election. I think the story of Ron DeSantis is that in 2020, he let let Florida stay open. Like other states, he wasn't the first one to leave it open, but he yeah. was the most outspoken about it. And he learned then that, hey, I could be popular by being extreme and outspoken. Yep. And that's why he did some crazy stuff, especially with Disney. You know, people are saying it was a stupid thing for him to do what he did with Disney, but he had to keep the fire, you know, alive. No, I, 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 first of all, Alex, you're very, very good for flagging that. Good analysis. I polled on Disney. People believe, people agree with what's, what, what uh, DeSantis is doing on Disney. By 85 to 14. They agree, you said? uh, Agree? They agree with Uh DeSantis on going after Disney. Uh So he's right for doing that. And I think that Trump is going to back him up in that. Um, I think that the, that on the issue of COVID, I polled that also in Iowa just last week. Uh, people approve of Donald Trump pushing the vaccine on the lockdowns. They would have liked to have seen the lockdowns end earlier, but they understand that he was lied to by Fauci and by the scientific establishment creep. and that that was not his fault. So people don't hold that against him. And they do know that he badgered everybody, driving everyone crazy to reopen and to stop the schools from getting closed. Right. And I think that he's going to be fine. 
on the COVID issue. When we come back, let's explore the issue of abortion and how this will affect the Iowa caucuses. This is 77 WABC, and this is the Dick Morris Show. Talk Radio 77 WABC. It's Sunday, and you know what that means. Here's Dick Morris on 77 WABC. Clowns to the left of me, jokers to the right. Here I am, stuck in the middle with you. Yes, the caucus goers in Iowa are strongly pro-life. 76% said they would either never support legalizing abortion, 23%, would only do so in cases of rape, incest, or danger to the life of the mother. Only in the case of rape, incest, or danger to the life, or never, period. Right. 76%. Only 11% favored allowing abortion after 15 weeks, 6% after 6 weeks, and only 7% were pure pro-choice, no restrictions at all. Ask separately if they would support or oppose allowing abortion after six weeks, Iowa caucus goers said no by 28 to 64. And they'd pose, they'd oppose a 15 week cutoff by 56. By Wait, 28 th- said no? 28 said. said they would support allowing it after six weeks and 64 said they would oppose it. Got it. And after 15 weeks, 57 would oppose it. Got it. So they're against any abortion, anytime, anywhere, ever at all. But despite their strong views on abortion, they would overwhelmingly support Trump even if they disagreed with him on this issue. Mm -hmm. I asked in the poll, Donald Trump supported allowing, if Donald Trump supported allowing abortion up to 15 weeks, would you be more or less likely to vote for him or would it make no difference to you? And 70% said it would make no difference. 70% of this incredibly pro-life electorate said they don't give a damn what Trump says. They're voting for him anyway. 10% would make them more likely, 15 less likely, mm. but 70% said it didn't matter. And when we told them if Trump supported 15 weeks and DeSantis backed, 16, backed six weeks, 52% still said it made no difference to them at all. So they absolutely reject the idea that they should be decide on their vote in the caucus over abortion. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, one of the things that DeSantis has talked about is trying to make the abortion decision after six weeks. Uh, women reject this argument. Uh, we, we, but when we ask, but some people say women can't make a decision after six weeks because they many often don't know they're pregnant. Right. So I asked people in the sample from their personal experience, did you know you were pregnant after six weeks? And 76% of the women said they knew perfectly well. So that argument doesn't really work. But the important point here is that Trump can work, can say, I worked hard to overturn Roe, and I worked to give each state the right to adopt its own policies, and that I would oppose a federal mandate. If he's asked about six weeks or 15, he should say it's still a state issue, but he would sign a six-week ban if Congress passed it. And he should never come out for 15 weeks because that would really hurt him in Iowa. Voters embrace Trump's view that the Dobbs decision makes abortion a state issue, and they reject the idea of a federal mandate. Asked if a candidate said that abortion was now up to the states and he would impose a federal mandate, 
52% said it would make no difference, they'd vote for Trump anyway. And uh, 28% they'd be less likely to vote for Trump, but 14 said more likely. So, again, the abortion issue could be lethal for Trump in Iowa, but it looks like he's going to be able to survive it nicely. It's important when you talk about Iowa to understand how the election takes place in Iowa. In most states, you just walk in, you vote, you spend three minutes voting, and you leave, and you go home and watch on television the results. Of the primaries you're talking about. Yeah, Mm -hmm. in normal Mm -hmm. primaries in normal states. Right. But in Iowa, they have caucuses, not primaries. And what a caucus means is, first of all, you have to go a long distance to vote. They're polling places on every corner, but caucuses usually just one in a large town. <clears throat> so you have to drive a while in the snow, in the rain, to get there to vote. Then you have to spend three hours there voting, not five minutes, three hours. The chairman calls the caucus to order. They say a prayer. They give the Pledge of Allegiance. They probably sing the National Anthem. They probably sing Lee Greenwood. And finally, they get to the vote. And How many ch- people? Like seven people go to this thing? Well, it depends on the size. No, you have about 100,000 people in Iowa that vote in caucuses. Right. Uh, so these caucuses usually have about 1,000 people in them. And ha- around, about how many caucuses are there? Well, uh, I don't 500, know. 500? Yeah. No, about, about two or 300. Right. So the chairman calls it to order and says, okay, all of you who are for Donald Trump go to that corner of the room. <laughs> And all of you who are Ron DeSantis go to that other corner of the room. And those who are for, are for Tim Scott go over here. Those who are Mike, for Mike Pence go they over here. They need an octagon room. <laughs> yeah, you do. <laughs> and, and he, and he has everybody stand where their vote is. Mm-hmm. And then he counts and he says, well, we have a hundred people here in the room and we're allowed five delegates to the state convention. So unless you get 20%, you can't have a delegate. So the only candidates that got 20% are Trump and DeSantis and maybe Scott. So all the others are dropped out of this caucus. Get out. No, don't get out. Go to the one you support. Ah. They then leave there and they go to Trump or they go to DeSantis, and then the results are finally reported. But this process is interminable. It goes on for three hours. Oh, my God. So you have to really be a 100% uh, political freak. A political freak to do this, to go through this. And as a result, only the really strongly committed uh, people come out and do that. And that gives the pro life vote a very significant edge. While all this is going on, uh, Hunter Biden uh, is – the feds are closing in on Hunter Biden. Uh, Recently, there was a guy who was a – who worked at the IRS, and he was one of the supervisors. And he said, I've been in charge of investigating Hunter Biden. And every step of the way, I'm told to back off. I'm told to slow down. Hmm. I'm told to slow walk this this investigation. Who is this guy? I have his name. I mean, but what is his... He's a whistleblower. Whistleblower. He works for the IRS at the top position. And uh, he said that I've been instructed to slow walk this investigation. 
and he blew the whistle on that. And then the IRS fired him and fired everybody who was in charge of this investigation, all of them. And, uh, and they, and now they're all testifying that they were told to slow walk this investigation. Now the investigation itself is for only a very small portion of the stuff that Hunter Biden did. It mainly concerns that when he was stoned and high on cocaine, and you've all seen that photo of him, uh, he applied for a gun, gun permit. Hmm. And they said, have you ever used hard drugs? And he said, no. And they said, are you on, are you high now? And he said, no. And those were both lies to a federal official. Hmm. And that's what they're going to indict him for. But at that point, all of the other stuff he's done in Ukraine, in China, making huge amounts of money of payoffs and bribes uh, from companies that were under investigation or from China that that is uh, trying to fight the United States and replace us on the global stage. And he's going to be investigated for all of this stuff. And I think he uh, I think that he's going to be indicted. I think that he's going to be convicted. And more importantly, he's going to be dragged before the House committee and he's going to have to testify. And he doesn't want to add perjury to his sentence. And he's going to have to talk about all of the stuff he did. And just to review it quickly, he got a seat on the Burisma board, the energy company that, uh, this corrupt energy company. And he has no experience in energy. And they paid him $1 million a year to sit on the board for four years. And what he did was to get the head of Burisma off from a criminal investigation he was being subject to in Ukraine. And the other thing he did was With he the got... prosecutor guy that he said, I'll follow yeah. you. I'll no, follow that's you. different. Oh, different. And then he got uh, Obama, who was president then, to give $50 million to a program to develop natural gas in Ukraine, most of which went to Burisma. The thing you're talking about is a separate thing. Oh, yeah. They appointed a prosecutor to in Ukraine to investigate whether Hunter Biden was peddling this corruption. And uh, they fired him uh, because he got too close to Hunter Biden. And then the United States said to Ukraine, we're going to withhold a trillion dollars, a billion dollars of aid to you unless you make this prosecutor step down before he gets to Hunter. And uh, Biden flew to Ukraine. And he told the story he shouldn't have. It was an open mic. He said, so I told them you got to get rid of this guy. And I said, you know, my plane takes off in three hours. Unless he's gone, I'm not getting on that plane. And I'm not giving you and, any of that money. I'm not giving you a billion dollars. Right. And then he said, and son of a bitch, they fired the guy and they got in the, they minutes, got the like billion. All proud of it. Yeah, exactly. They fired this guy. So all minutes. of this stuff is going to come out with Hunter Biden. And moron. And I believe it's going to knock Joe Biden out of the race. Are I you think really? That, I think that his... They, they can prosecute him. They can prosecute Frank and James, his brothers. And I think that the pressure is just going to be enormous. Uh, Biden is currently dropping enormously in the ratings, going down, down, down. And uh, I think that he's going to be in terrible shape after an indictment. Uh, let's go to George in Manhattan. George. Morris. Fast, just have Morris. a minute. Yeah. Hi, how are you? Uh, now, uh, of course, I was going to uh, uh, discuss inflation and how uh, 
all the inflation has been around 10%, etc., under Biden, and then it's uh, sort of gone up and down, uh, and it's come down uh, quite a bit now. In uh, the supermarkets where we shop, etc., and other businesses, they have raised their prices uh, far more. Yeah, far more than the, than the, t- let me, I'm trying to interrupt you, but we're against the hard break. Uh, the consumer price index is down to about 6% inflation from nine. But the, uh, but the price index for groceries, for important goods that people buy and for gasoline is still up around 10 or 12%. Until that comes down, inflation is going to be an incredible issue that's going to badly hurt, uh, President Biden. So we talked about the budget deal. We talked about how the U.S. is now on the verge of a huge fiscal crisis in which everybody ditches the dollar and switches to other currencies. And that's something we might never recover from. Uh, might never recover from. Thank 30 you, years Mr. from now, Morris. that's what Biden will have done to this country. It's an honor to be here. Thank you, Doug. And happy Memorial Day to, and to all of you. All of you guys and girls out there fighting for us.